adjusting. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Very, very good. Very good. Okay, so I'm going to do a PowerPoint presentation as part of my message today. So I'm going to just move the screen out a little more. And um, just so everybody can see it okay. All right, all right. Beautiful. Let me just move my laptop over some. Everyone get um, everyone get the um, sermon notes for this week. Anyone not get them? Okay. Thank you, Justin and Mark and Sister Lillian and the Anderson ladies for working out the um, technical issues we had this morning. Appreciate you guys. Let's give our uh, audio, video, IT team a hand clap. Thank you, Marcus and Gloria, for holding down the fort and uh, helping us on the outside get things okay on the inside. Reminds me of Terry O'Bannon's favorite song, Jesus on the Inside, Working on the Outside, Brought About a Change in My Life. Amen. 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 Okay. So we're just going to just be short, sweet, and right to the point. I just want to just kind of like get everybody um, ready for the message. And I just want to just accomplish two things this morning. I want to I want to help us understand the real importance or how really important these Old Testament prophets are and how we can apply prophecy, how we can apply, thank you, uh, Mark, for passing those out, how we can apply prophecy that was written, wait for it, 4,000 years ago. How is it relevant in 2021? Some things that happened last week, especially if you're following the pandemic reports coming from the CDC and the WHO and the NIH, um, we get information last week that may be obsolete and of no avail this week. I mean, just think about that. I mean, talk about a moving target. But this prophecy that we're reading this morning was written 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus. And it's just as relevant, just as accurate. Watch this. Just as accurate as it was the day it was written. It's almost as though the ink hasn't dried yet. It's just absolutely amazing. It really is. It really is. And I pray that it's exciting, as exciting to you as it is to me. I'm going to try to make it exciting. It's, you know, I, did a, I read a survey that said that the Old Testament minor prophets, also known, a.k.a. as the 12, are the most least read books in the Bible. Even, even less read than the book of Revelation, which I thought no one reads. <laughs> but, but the minor prophets are, are by, according to this one survey, the least amount of read books in the Bible, even by Christians. So, of course, that piqued my interest. When I read that, I was already pumped about talking about guys like Obadiah, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, you know, uh, Jonah, Joel, Amos, 
Habakkuk, Nahum, guys that we hardly ever hear about. I mean, we know the big four, right? When it comes to prophets, we know Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. We know those guys, right? Those are, those are kind of considered Jeremiah, the big four guys that wrote the, what's called the major prophets, which isn't that it's major from, it's not like it's more important than the minor. They're just called major and minor because of the size of their books and because of the audience that they were targeting. But they're all critical. They're all critical. So, dear Lord, this morning, just for a few minutes, help us to understand how we can be better in your word, how we can grow from all of your word, not just a portion of it, not just the New Testament, but all of it that's relevant. And it's all relevant from Genesis to Revelation, every single word, every single chapter, every single verse. We ask to help you. We ask that you would help us get that understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so that's what I want to accomplish. So let's just start out by talking really quickly. What is a prophet? A prophet is just really a person that speaks on God's behalf. There are so many people today that are calling themselves prophets, and they're really speaking on their own behalf. They really have their own agenda. So a prophet is a person that speaks on God's behalf. It's God's message that they're supposed to uh, present, not their own. So some people think that all prophets only predict the future. Prophets talk about the past. They remind us of the past. They talk about issues that are current, and they also talk about future issues. So a prophet doesn't just stick to the future. He covers a lot of territory. And sometimes they talk about all three. So the Bible mentions true prophets, mentions false prophets, it mentions even prophets that spoke for other gods, like the 450 prophets that, that, that were prophets for Baal over in his first Kings, the 18th chapter. These prophets were profiting, prophesying for Baal, which is a false or idol god. And by the way, the word prophecy, there's two words. I think I actually have a slide up here for that. There's two words that talk about prophecy. Yeah, there it is right here. There's a prophet prophesies prophecy. The word prophecy is a verb. The only difference between prophecy, prophesy, and prophecy is just the S and the C. And this is a noun. This is what is actually prophesied. This is the message, prophecy. Prophesy is something that a person communicates from God. It's a message, so it's a verb. It's an action. So these prophets are prophesying both past, present, and future, okay? And when we're talking about the prophets, we're talking about all 17 of them or all 17 books of prophecy, starting at, the, starting at the book of Isaiah, ending at the book of Malachi. Jesus is just demonstrated in all of these books. And you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible because the Word of God is about God. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, according to St. John 1.1. 1, 1. I'll talk more about that another time. Let me just tell you a couple of really interesting things about the prophets before I tell you one of their key messages for this morning. And that is these guys had to go through some weird stuff, according to God. I mean, imagine Hosea. 
marrying a prostitute. We don't know if he married a prostitute or if she became a prostitute after they got married. But, boy, that would be grounds to cut her loose, uh, cut him loose if he was doing that. But, listen, that's one thing. But to name your kids this, you may have personal issues. But to put a curse on your kids, you call one, you name one kid unloved, and you call the other kid not my people. I don't even know how you sit down and come up with that. They certainly didn't look at a book of baby names and come up with naming their kids unloved and not my people. But that's what Hosea did. And God used that as an illustration to show them. That was to symbolize how Israel was treating God. They were treating God terribly. They were just completely leaving him out. And they just went to other gods. They actually went, as it were, whoring against four other gods, um, idol gods, false gods, instead of believing in the, the true and living God. Of course, we know the story of Jonah and the big fish. This was also symbolizing Jesus' sacrifice and his burial. Uh, a couple other eccentricities with these uh, prophets. Ezekiel, boy, this guy was interesting. He laid on his left side for 390 days. Just he slept on his one side for 390 days to emphasize or to symbolize the 390 years that Israel was in sin and backsliding against God. Talk about dedicated. Wow. He also ate a diet of barley cakes that was cooked over cow manure every day. That was his diet. You know why he did that? He did that to symbolize that when God's people went into captivity, they were going to eat food that was unclean or contaminated. And he was showing that. Isaiah stripped off his clothes and walked around town naked. Literally, he'd get arrested today. Isaiah 20, you can see these, Daniel 1, Ezekiel 4. And his stripping was to symbolize the humiliation that Egypt and Ethiopia would befall, befall and would come to them at the hands of the Assyrian conquerors. And then there was Jeremiah who fastened a yoke, a cattle yoke to his back. And he walked around with this thing all day until another prophet broke it off. And the yoke symbolizes the servitude that the Jews were going to get experience. I'm sorry, that's a little off the screen. Against Babylon. Hopefully the other ones will be better. So here's the key. Here's the reason I brought all that up. I brought it up to say that these men and women went through what they went through for the purpose of getting God's message across to his people. It was that important, so, so much so that most of these men and women were martyred. Most of them lived lives of isolation, humiliation, rejection, completely being dismissed and marginalized. Poor Jeremiah, dude preached for 40 years, got zero converts. All of his prophecies came true. Then they were carted off into exile by the Babylonians. He ended up being deported to Egypt and was stoned. After all he went through, he was stoned by his own people. And I, I, I think why this is important to me is that I, I feel like every message in the Bible is important. And I think that these prophets are critical and their, message are, is, their messages are relevant today. And if I would have had to, if I had to capsulize in one word the message from these prophets, both major and minor, it would be the word idolatry. The biggest sin then 
and now is people, us, them, us, all of us, worshiping a God other than the God of the Bible. Now, you may say, Pastor Will, come on, dude. We worship God. We know who God is. I know that. I get it. And I'm talking about erecting a little golden calf and bowing down and burning incense in front of a piece of metal. I'm talking about where our affections, our attention, our time, our desires, things that are more important in our lives than God is now an idol. It doesn't have to be an object. It doesn't have to be something that's material. It can be immaterial things. It can be our, 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 our education, our money, our spouse, our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our car, our job. It can be our connections, our social status, our Twitter followers. I mean, you don't, you, you'd be surprised what people will choose to make front and center in their lives. And it doesn't matter whether they call it a god. It doesn't matter whether they label it an idol. If it supplants God's place in their life, if it usurps his throne in your heart, if it becomes more important to you than serving and obeying God, it is now an idol. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's what God calls it. And he says that you're putting something ahead of me, something before me, something that's more important than me. Amen? So my question to you is, why do we forget God's goodness? Why do we keep making the same mistakes over and over again? Why do we keep all of these prophets that I named, all 12 of the minor prophets and the four major prophets, all of them emphasize that Israel repent. Some prophets were to Judah, the southern kingdom. Some prophets were to Israel, the northern kingdom. The bottom line is the message was the same. Return, repent, stop backsliding, come back to God, get it together. Remember God's goodness. Remember what he did for you. Look at this. He says that some people have become blind to, their own, to the reality of their own demise. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, it says, My people perish for a lack of knowledge. The word knowledge, and I think I broke that down here. It might even be broken down in your notes. The Hebrew word for knowledge is a word called yada, Y-A-D-A. It's similar to a Greek word in the New Testament that we see all the time called oida, O-I-D-A. It's a similar word for knowledge. It's similar to the word genosis that we learn in the Greek, and we talk about that a lot. It is learning God intimately, not just informationally. You with me? So what this is about is this. God is saying through Hosea, you have rejected me because you don't know me. And you don't know me because you choose to invest your time and energy and effort in knowing other gods, other things, other pleasures, other distractions. Okay? I think that's an excellent word to know. Lord, help me to know you. Sister Marie, I think, sang that song a couple weeks ago. 
that I may know you, knowing you, Jesus. There is no other way. I want to just not know about you. I don't want to have a peripheral knowledge of you. I don't want to have a book knowledge of you. I don't want to have an academic or an intellectual knowledge of you. I want to have an intimate, personal. The word know there, yada, is also the word that it, that's used when it said Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It suggests the greatest part, the most intimate knowledge one can have. God wants us to have an intimate, experiential, personal knowledge of him. Not just a peripheral, sort of casual, surface knowledge of him. Amen? So that's what this is talking about. Joshua, when, the children, when Joshua was over the Israelites, it was probably, and I'm almost done. Hang with me a couple more minutes. Joshua was probably the last person that was in charge of Israel when Israel was under what is known as a theocracy. You know what a theocracy is? It's a nation that's governed by God. Theocracy is basically a national uh, or a body, a group. Theocracy, God ruled, God over, God in charge. They, God always wanted Israel to be a theocracy. Quite frankly, he wants all of us to be a theocracy. We're not. We're, some of us are under a democracy. Some of us are under a monarchy. Some of us are under an autocrat, autocratic government where it's, it's, it's basically a dictatorship. Some of us are just um, in, in chaotic situations where governments are just ruled by mobs, like Israel was after Joshua died here. But while Joshua was alive, the people experienced God personally, and they were together. You read that over in Joshua chapter 24, 15, when he says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Remember that? So this is how things were in Joshua 24. Fast forward, if you will. Fast forward to Judges. Just the very next book. Just two chapters away. That generation completely, when they died off, look at what happened. After the gener that generation died, what generation? The generation of people that knew God personally. People that were under a theocracy. They were ruled by God. They were governed by God. They worshiped God. They served God. They loved God. When they died, the Bible says, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. See the word knowledge in there? No. Yada. Yada. They did not have a personal, intimate, experiential relationship with God. They only had a hearsay, secondhand, some passed down knowledge of God. They did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done from Israel. Starting with, starting with God's deliverance of Israel over the, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, giving them victory over the Canaanites, tearing down the wall of Jericho, giving them success in all of their military struggles. They forgot that. Listen, guys, you might say, Pastor Will, that happened X amount of years ago. Can I say something to you? It's happening today. 
we still forget how good God has been to us. We still forget, don't we? When, when the enemy comes in like a flood, isn't it something how we quickly forget how God has delivered us time and time again from similar situations? And that's, that's his ploy. What the enemy wants us to do is be distracted and misinformed because that's how he deceives us. He calls us to forget about what God has done. Forget about God's goodness in our lives and the victories that he's given us and the miracles that he's already performed. When we forget that, we're sitting ducks because our history, that's why many of the prophets reminded Israel of their ancient history. Remember what God has already done for you. Be encouraged by that. When we forget our history, we're bound to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Amen. The Bible says that they abandoned the Lord. They went after other gods. They served Baal and Asterisk. And boy, that brought about disastrous results because look what happened. They suffered violence, injustice, oppression, sexual promiscuity, idolatry. Even children's sacrifice, child sacrifice was practiced. Uh, Israel and Judah both failed God. They both backslid. And they both left, their, forgot their knowledge, forgot their blessings of what God had done for them. So in closing, here's the solution to that. The Bible says that God knew that they were going to do this, and he provided a solution. The solution was Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to send the Savior. I'm going to send the Deliverer. And that's what I want to share with you today in closing that God has a solution for our absent-mindedness, our forgetfulness. The solution is that we return to him. Actually, it's part of the Monday morning moment, kind of like something that seemed like Johnny Cochran or Jesse Jackson would have said. It says, if you repent, he may relent. <laughs> and, and you know what? It's, a, it's really a shame because Israel, in spite of all the prophets that were sent, and there were a lot more prophets that are God sent than the ones that are mentioned that have books with their names after them. Elijah nor Elijah, were, they did not write a book, but they're all through Old Testament history. Two of the greatest prophets ever. And there were many more that weren't even as popular as the ones we know about that God used to send this message. Because God is so full with long suffering. He is so patient. He's so compassionate. He's so sincere about giving us a chance to get it together. The Lord promised that he would restore the years, Joel 20, 25, that we've lost and wasted if we come back to him with sincere and contrite hearts. So there's a solution. There's a way to get back what we've lost. Excuse me. There's a way to, <clears throat> there's a way to <clears throat> wait, make up, excuse me. We can make up for wasted time. And um, Joel 2.27, Joel 2.25, <clears throat> and uh, Joel 2.23 are excellent verses that cover ways that God gives us to resolve our relationship 
and salvage our relationship with him. I think I got one more slide on that, our Monday morning moment. Yes. It's the last one. So the Monday morning moment kind of like wraps it all up. It's far more important to know God than to know about God. And I underline that because there are those two words again. Um, that word of knowing about is essentially this word right here, genosis. <clears throat> and the word knowing God, intimately the word yada in Hebrew uh, is, is talking about having an intimate knowledge of God. For my people are destroyed because they don't know me. They don't yada me. They don't have an intimate, personal, deep relationship with him. That's just so critical. <clears throat> it's so critical that we move from having, um, I'll say what I would call casual, casual Christianity. Casual Christianity is just knowing the Lord on the surface, refusing to have a deeper walk with him, refusing to go beyond just being a churchgoer, refusing to go beyond just being a church member, refusing to go beyond just being religious or moral or decent, but wanting to know God personally, wanting to have a relationship with him based on experience and trust and deep knowledge. I pray that that's what you want to do. Amen? I really do. I pray that you're not satisfied with just also-ran relationships, just knowing God, knowing about God. I pray that you really want to know him personally. Amen? And these prophets are just great about just, if you, if you would, through the week, I put together a Be a Berean. Please read it. Please, if you, if, you just spend, if you just spend five minutes a day reading about these prophets and their message, you will see that it is so relevant and so good and so on point. I, for this week, I mentioned, please read Joel chapter 2. Please read Amos. It's a short book. Please read Joel 2, through 26. Meditate on it. Memorize Hosea 4, 6a. We talked about that earlier. And there's a, a question there. Actually, the uh, study question is, how do you define being faithful to God? So I want you to do that this week, if you would. Just give it, give it a shot. Give Be a Berean a shot. Try it. See if it ministers to you. See if it helps you. Take your relationship, your walk with the Lord to the next level. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for this time that we've had to worship today. Teach us your word. Help us to become serious pupils, students for your word. Help us not to look at church as a necessary evil or an obligation or requirement, or some sort of debt that we're paying. But help us, Lord, to look at these chances, these opportunities, these privileges that we get to assemble. Help us to look at them as pure celebration, pure gold, opportunity piled on opportunity, extravagant love, extravagant kindness on your part. Help us to look at 
our relationship with you, Lord, as being vital, that we need to, that we must take it to a deeper level, that we must focus on knowing more about you, exposing more of ourselves to you so that you can have your way in our lives, so that you can control us. Help us to be more submissive to you, surrendering the reins of our lives, surrendering our minds, surrendering our desires, surrendering our passions to you, that you might just change our appetites. Give us new focus. Give us new things that we love. Give us new and better things to focus on and to center our attention. Help us to spend our time wisely and to redeem the times and to number our days, knowing that we don't have forever to get this thing together, that your coming could be any day. Our death could be any day. We must be interested, Lord, in getting things right and redeeming the times now. Light a fire under us, Lord. Give us a sense of urgency this morning. Change our focus. Change our appetites. Change our drives, Lord. Stir us up. Shake us up. Help us, Lord, to just want to go to a higher place in you. Give us just a righteous discontentment about where we are. Help us not to be satisfied with status quo. Help us not to be satisfied with mediocrity. Help us not to be satisfied with just doing enough. Fire us up, Lord. Bring revival, personal revival to each one of us. Just a personal solemn assembly in each individual that we will want to get it together individually. Revolution starts inside. Revival starts with one person. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.